Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to New Essex, North Carolina. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, 14 years after being imprisoned, vicious psychopath Max Cady emerges with a single-minded mission to seek revenge, revenge on his attorney, Sam Bowden. Bowden. We are doing 1991's Cape Fear. Dun, dun, dun. We, last week we did the original, and this week we decided to do the remake to compare and contrast. Yes, to just keep the Cape Fear party rolling. Because Wendy um, asked us to do horror movies, which we don't do, so we do suspense movies, and so this is as good as it gets for Halloween. Ooh, but this is a good one. So, Wendy, if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, tis the season to rack it up. (laughs) Okay, particulars. Pay attention. These are good. Cape Fear. It was released... November 13th, 1991. So that means we were in Germany, Ma. Yeah, that's why I, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we met, well, I was 11 years old, so I probably, I probably would have been able to see it, but like, let you not see been it. able, like, don't tell anyone we let you see it. Well, we never said that to you. We never said, don't tell anyone you saw this movie. We just would say, if you heard bad words, you are not allowed to repeat them. Yeah, but you wouldn't let me watch it if, like, you were watching it with your friends or something because they wouldn't let their kids watch it. Then I couldn't watch it. Like, Pretty Woman and Top Gun. It w- you were watching it with other people, and it was like, But you sorry. always saw it later. Like, I know, we have to, like, put up this thing. Up. Oh, no, they can't watch it either. Yeah, we like, always let you guys watch stuff. And, and we would discuss. If you have an issue with it, discuss. Yeah, I remember the first like R-rated movie. It was a Chuck Norris movie. And you were like, I don't want to hear you saying any of the words coming out of their mouths. And I was like, no problem. No problem. Until I heard the words coming out of my mommy's mouth. <laughs> and then it was very confusing. Well, well, then I graduated from high school. And I'm like, all fucking bets are off. <laughs> It's true. I held it in until 1980. Well, no. You held it in until like probably like 1998. I mean, you would say damn it. You would say damn it. You graduated from high school. Yeah. I was a good girl until then. Yeah. But then. Not in my mind, but out loud. But June 1998. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The cloud of just words that would come out just blue i was like man who knew my mom worked blue <laughs> so it's directed by martin scorsese so in 76 he did taxi driver in 80 he did goodfellas then he did some other movies in the 80s like color of money last temptation of christ then in 1990 he did goodfellas then he does Cape Fear. Wait, you said Goodfellas earlier. He did two Goodfellas? Oh, he does Taxi Driver in 76 and Raging Bull in 80. Oh, Raging Bull, because you said Goodfellas. Oh, my bad. Raging Bull okay. in 80. So then in the That's 80s, bad. he does a whole bunch of other movies, among them The Color of Money, The Last Temptation of Christ. 1990 comes out with Goodfellas. 
follows that up, the movie right after Goodfellas is Cape Fear. Then after Cape Fear, he does The Age of Innocence, and he does Casino, and then so on and so forth. It's produced by Barbara Defina. She also produced Michael Jackson's Bad Video with Quincy Jones. She also produced Casino, Goodfellas, The Color of Money, Kundun, Last Temptation of Christ, The Grifters. She was married to Martin Scorsese from 1985 to 1991. Screenplay is by Wesley Strick. He wrote Arachnophobia, Batman Returns, Wolf, and since 2015, he's been the writer and executive producer of the Amazon Prime series, The Man in the High Castle. Oh. Which, the final season is coming in November. I guess I'm two seasons behind. I just started the whatever season <sighs> we're on now. You should stop so that that's what we can watch at Christmas. Got it. But you Good. don't have to because I'm sure there's going to be something else out. Whatever. Just let me know. But this is the final season that's coming out. Okay. Oh, that's kind of scary. Okay. All right. It's based on the screenplay Cape Fear by James R. Webb, we did last week. And that was based on The Executioners by John D. McDonald, which we did last week. Oh, my gosh. The music. Did you see the text I sent you? I did. My head I... exploded when I saw this. <laughs> I had to go back because it literally looked like a bunch of jumbly to me. I had well, to cause, pause cause it. The... The font was like a jagged font. Well, we'll get to that because that's Sal Bass doing his Sal Bass thing. But so Bernard Herman's original score adapted, arranged, and conducted by Elmer Bernstein. What? <laughs> I've it's been well documented on this podcast that I continually confuse these people because in my mind their names are so alike Yes. that literally when I looked at the title card, all I could read was arranged, conducted, and I couldn't read the names because they, they just looked the same to me. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so Elmer Bernstein, remember he did Sweet Smell of Success to Kill a Mockingbird, Slap Shot, and Trading Places. Those are just the movies of his that we've already done. Because that guy did a ton. I don't even think, have there ever been any other music composers besides Bernard Herrmann and Elmer Bernstein? I don't think so. I think they've done everything. But my God, when I saw that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But it's your perfect storm. It is, but I... I just couldn't read anyone's names. And I'm like, this is does not help my situation of not being able to know who is who. I'm like, there's a there it just further cements in my mind that they are the same person. Well, they might be. They're just they're Elmer Hermond. The director of photography is Freddie Francis. He won the Oscar for Sons and Lovers and also Glory. He's the one that captured that one tear going down Denzel Washington's cheek. He also did The Elephant Man and The Straight Story. And he also did other things. Edited by Thelma Schoonmaker. She's worked with Martin Scorsese for 50 years. Damn. 
She worked on, she cut Raging Bull, King of Comedy, Goodfellas. She also is doing The Irishman that's about to come out. I mean, you know, all his movies. She was born in Algeria. So she's Algerian-American. Wow. Which makes her African-American. A person of color. But she's white. Okay. So. More heads are exploding. We have starring Robert De Niro as Max Cady. So, you know, he was in Taxi Driver. He was in, you know, Godfather 2, a bunch of other things. Those were the notables. In 1990, he was in Goodfellas. Then he did Awakenings. Then Guilty by Suspicion. Then Backdraft. Then he did this movie, Cape Fear. The next movie was Mistress. And then Night of the City. And then on and on with his other movies. Nick Nolte as Sam Bowden. He was in North Dallas 40, 48 Hours, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, another 48 Hours. Then he did this movie. Then the same year, The Prince of Tides came out. And then he did Lorenzo's Oil. And then later, Affliction and Tropic Thunder and a bunch of other stuff. Jessica Lang as Lee Bowden. She, nerd alert, she's won two Oscars, three primetime Emmys, one Tony, one SAG Award, and five Golden Globe Awards. I'll add so far. She was in King Kong, the remake. She was in Tootsie, Francis, All That Jazz, Blue Sky, Grey Gardens. She's been in the American horror story anthology she played joan crawford in feud betty versus joan and most recently she's in the netflix series that i can't recommend enough the politician politician she didn't win an emmy for gray gardens um maybe she did i mean she won three primetime emmys so Uh-oh. i don't i didn't look up what she won them for so she won an emmy a tony a, an oscar Oh, excuse me. No, she won two Oscars. Three. The only thing she had she didn't win was a Grammy to make her a an EGOT. An EGOT. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. She needs to get she needs to find a book and record the audio version of it. Which she could totally do. Totally do. What the hell? I'm sure she's I'm sure her people are on it. I hope so. But maybe, you know, she's just like, I don't need that. She she probably is. She just seems. And I believe she had a relationship with Mikhail Baryshnikov. She did. And she had a child with him, did she not? I don't know. She's done a lot of humanitarian work. She's been a foster mother. Right now, she has a book out of photographs. She's had she has multiple books out about of photography. Hmm. She's just she's just living her best life. She is indeed. Juliette Lewis as Danielle Bowden. She was in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. What's Eating Gilbert Grape? California Natural Born Killers. Old School. On TV, she was in Secrets and Lies. She was also in The Act. I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff. If you don't know who Juliette Lewis is, what rock have you been living under? 
Joe Don Baker, he played Claude Kersick. He was uncredited in Cool Hand Luke. He was also in Walking Tall, The Natural, Fletch, Reality Bites. Ileana Douglas as Lori Davis. She was in Goodfellas, Quiz Show, To Die For, Seinfeld, Frasier, The Drew Carey Show, Six Feet Under, and Grace of My Heart, just to name a few. She's been in a ton of stuff. Fred Dalton Thomas as Tom Broadbent. He was a politician, attorney, lobbyist, columnist, an actor. He was a U.S. senator from 1994 to 2003. As an actor, he was in The Hunt for the Red October, Die Hard 2, In the Line of Fire, and I know him best as from Law and Order. Yeah. And Zully Montero, she was Gracil... Man, I I knew I was going to not be able to say this because it has a lot of vowels in it. Gracilia. Man, I butchered that. She was the main, right? She's a Cuban actress. She's been in so many Spanish language movies and televisions, and she's still doing that, like being the main villain in all of these things. Excellent. I'm just like, man, get it, girl. And then we have Robert Mitchum. He played Lieutenant Elgart. Gregory Peck showed up as Katie's attorney, Lee Heller. And Martin Balsam showed up as the judge. The judge. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a list. Well, we hear rain. And as the credits are rolling, we see water. Nerd alert. We- the credits are by Elaine and Sal Bass. Now, Sal Bass is known for his title sequences. He routinely worked with Hitchcock. So remember how last time we were talked about on the original, how it was basically a Hitchcock movie not directed by Hitchcock because the guy used Mm -hmm. all his collaborators. And then this movie, we already have the Hitchcock score going. So right off the bat, I was like, okay, awesome. Then you bring in Sal Bass, who is known for his title sequences. So he did the title sequences of Carmen Jones, The Man with the Golden Arm, Anatomy of a Murder, North by Northwest, Vertigo, Psycho, Spartacus, Goodfellas, The Age of Innocence, Casino. If you want to, like, oh, what, like, what's his style? What other titles were done as an homage to him? Then look no further than Catch Me If You Can. Or how about the title sequence to Mad Men? That's just a straight-up Sal Bass ripoff. Also, the intro to TBS's Conan show. Also, this dude did the so many logos that you know. Well, I guess I know because of when I grew up. I'm sure these logos have since been updated, but he did the Bell Systems logo that was just that bell in the middle. He did the AT&T logo, the United Airlines logo, the United Way logo, I still see. As do I still see that the Girl Scouts logo. He also did the logo for Kleenex and Quaker, the you know oat brand Quaker and stuff. The General Mills Quaker brand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like With the Quaker. Yeah, this guy is a graphic artist icon. Extraordinaire. Yes. Well, we see water. There's eerie music. We see a bird of prey. Um, and the bird of prey is reflected in the water. And then we see eyes and there's different um, visual effects 
Like it looks like a negative. Ah, yes. I believe that you are nerd alert talking about um Mar Marty's if you will, Marty's expressionistic blocks of color. That's just that's just Marty being an artistic filmmaking genius. He used that a lot in this, like a like a the negative of a photograph, mm -hmm. or also like it was like a negative, but it was all red splashed in. But mm -hmm. then, if you remember in the original that we did last week, there was the scene where the wife was in bed, and they were they to uh, convey her anxiety and nightmares. They used. Um, I forget what they did, but they did like dissolves and stuff over her face as she was mm -hmm. sleeping and tossing and turning. So I felt like that that was just another way of being uncomfortable. And whereas okay. the, the first one was in black and white, this one was in color. So it's like, well, if this is in color, why don't we play with the color? Okay, that makes sense. It was jarring. And then we see a tattooed back. Uh, of a of a man with a cross and it says truth and justice and the scales of justice are on the um the cross beam of the cross and um he's doing push-ups in jail oh he's doing oh no he's not those aren't push-ups he's doing um crap i forget the name they're harder than push-ups he's doing dips because he's he's moved his bed in, and so he's lowering himself in and, and dipping down and pushing up. It's harder than push-ups. Oh, wow. Um, there are law books all over, and then you realize it was a jail cell? There's law books and a lot of Nietzsche, oh. the philosopher. Um, we realize this is Max Cady. He's being relate, released from prison, and we see storm clouds on the horizon. Oh, and he walks right, his face walks right up into the camera. I'm like, man, I was excited when I saw this. I'm like, man, Martin Scorsese is going full on Hitchcock. He is going to make a Hitchcock fever dream, and I'm all in. And at this point, people... You should just hit pause and just do yourself a favor and just go watch Martin Scorsese as he just makes an ode to Hitchcock and just yes. bathe in all of the, the camera moves and the weird angles and all of it, all the unsettledness. And I, because last week I kept saying it was so Hitchcockian. So this is Hitchcockian as well. This is Hitchcock on steroids. This is the evolution of Hitchcock. This is Hitchcock on cocaine. And you can, yeah, and you can only kind of, because I was reading things about it afterwards, and you can only really get away with all of this stuff for thrillers and suspense movies. All of the camera moves, because it's very showy. It, there's yeah. a lot of move. There are a lot of camera moves being, and I even read an article, um where it was that Martin Scorsese just basically wanted to take the audience by the neck and be like, look here, now look here, now look at this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, then we have Juliette Lewis, a young Juliette Lewis. I don't know how old she was in this. She was playing 
Danielle, the daughter, um, and she was 15 years old as the daughter. She is speaking to a Hispanic maid who, and she's trying out her, her Spanish on her. And she seems lovely and just 15-year-old-ish. Mm-hmm. Then we see Jessica Lang, and she is in advertising. She's working at home on an advertising slogan of some kind. Then we see the new Sam coming out of the courthouse. Our new Sam is a young... Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. (laughs) Young and very skinny. And there's a reason for that, Mm -hmm. nerd alert. Um, When they were first cast, Nick Nolte was bigger than Robert De Niro. So Robert De Niro had to bulk up and Nick Nolte had to um, shred. He wasn't shredding for the wedding. He was shredding for the movie. So um, So that Max Cady is more imposing than Sam Bowden. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he has on glasses so that he looks a little, you know, dorkier. Um, well, then they are in the movie theater. The family's in the movie theater and Max goes into the movie theater, sits right in front of them and lights up a scar. This is okay. So at this point I'm watching this movie and it's 1991. Which, when I hear, you know, that a movie was in 1991 because of how age works, I'm like, well, that's, it's not that long ago. But it turns out that it has been that long ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, so, but then I'm, so I say to myself, I says, Aaron, when is this movie supposed to take place? Because we just did Cape Fear from the 60s, and that took place in the 60s. Is, and this is a remake. Is this a remake set in the 60s? Or is this a remake set in current times? The, and I was very excited because I was like, oh my gosh, did they do a Because re- most remakes, they, you know, they put it in current times. But I got really excited because I was like, oh, is this a cool, this is going to be a remake in made in 1991 with all of the camera moves and all the crazy cinema things that we've learned. And it's going to be set in the 60s until I saw John Ritter on the movie screen within the movie. And I realized that's Problem Child. And that came out in 1990. Yeah. So this is a modern day. But they were in a small town, New Essex, North Carolina. So, yeah, but I kept waiting for the usher to come and say, you can't smoke a cigar in here. Yeah, but remember those early 90 theaters, Ma? It was it was no holds barred. Yeah. And you had the uncomfortable seats. Like yeah. it, you're kind of like it took until the late 90s for people to realize why don't we make stadium seating? I guess so. <laughs> but remember in 1991 we would go to movies on the base and we would have oh. to stand for the Star Spangled Banner before the movie. And the movie theater was basically an auditorium. Right. So, yeah. But it did, no, the one-inch Vibrucken had a baby crying room, yeah, which was yeah. really cool. You could take your crying baby in there. You still got to see the movie. You could still hear it, but the people in the theater couldn't hear the crying baby. I believe yeah. we rarely, in Bad Kreuznach in the 90s, we rarely went to see movies. And I believe the reason is, and I could be wrong, 
but I don't think our father approved of the sound system. Probably not. I only re I only remember taking you to the crying room once. So well, I that was know. in okay. a different theater. I digress. You're talking about the theater when I was a baby. I'm talking about when I was a 10 year old kid. Uh, we went a little bit to that one. I, I feel like we didn't go that much because he did not like the sound. Probably. <laughs> okay. So um, he and um, he's not only Max is not only smoking a cigar, but laughing extremely annoyingly to annoy Sam's family. So Sam just yeah. goes, let's let's just change seats. I'm I'm not dealing with this dude. It's Let's like, just... this is John Ritter and Problem Child. This is not Three's Company, John Ritter. So yeah. where's all the laughter coming from, buddy? Yeah, it wasn't that funny. And then they go out for ice cream, and Juliet Lewis is saying, you should have punched him. You should have punched him out. And he, um, the dad goes to pay for the ice cream, and they go, oh, it's already been paid for by that gentleman. And there is Max Cady. Ah, oh, man. Well, next scene, Sam is playing handball with a female colleague. Ileana Douglas. They are they are playing a... Uh, uh, I'm like, there's more to this than... This is, this is more than just a friendly game. Yeah, it's not just two, co two colleagues playing handball. Gregory Peck's Sam Bowden would never be in such a compromising situation. Exactly. Um, so it was it was a little jarring. I was like, "Whoa, wait! I'm I'm not expecting this." And I was like, "This is 1991." Proceed, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and then they are in the locker room, and and he says, "We have to stop this." Um, and she says playfully something about, "Oh, will your wife get upset?" And he says, "My wife doesn't even know that you exist," but. Are we going to have another game tomorrow? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and well, so he she was very adamant that they haven't had anything physical. But you can tell that it's leading up to that. And so yeah. he's like, well, we have to stop. And I the stop it, I thought, meant like they're playing the games and like, you know, the racquetball games and just hanging out and stuff because you know where this is leading. Right, right. And then by the end of the conversation, he's like, okay. It, he's he's hooked on a drug. He can't quit. Yeah. Yeah, men. And anyway, um, so she drives off, and so Sam is starting his car back in 1991. We still had keys that went in the ignition, and we had Max Katie reach in and take his keys out of the ignition. Which is exactly what happened in the original. Yes, it was nice. So Sam says, 14 years, I've been thinking of settling down right here. And then as, as he walks off, he says, you're going to learn about loss. Now, he says it so mumbly. I had to listen two times. And I, both times I said, you're going you're gonna to learn I'm the boss. <laughs> but no, because then later... Sam says what he said, which was, you're going to learn about loss. So uh, Sam goes home. Danny, the daughter, not, oh, I forget. 
think what her name was last week. Um, her name. Nancy, not Nancy. It wasn't Nancy. It oh, was. I can look it up. But anyway, um, it's Danny this this time, and she's doing her homework. Nancy. It was Nancy. Yeah. I okay. I did not throw away. I actually have my, my notes, notes from last week as well. From last week. They have uh, oil on them from the week's cooking, but I still have them. <laughs> <laughs> She's reading Look Homeward Angel. And it, it appears it's summertime, but she has to go to a summer session at school. What does that mean? Um, instead of throwing her out of school... Instead of um, expelling her, I guess she has to take some summer classes. So you're saying she was, so when, as an audience, we hear that, we're supposed to be, oh, she, she's not, I mean, to, to just boil it down to its bare minimum, that she's not a good girl. Like a quote, good girl. That right. Well, or, we know that something happened that caused them to not expel her, but to give her this punishment of extra classes, which isn't what you want to do as an educator. Make I yeah, I thought that it was just. I guess because I'm used to nowadays that it was that the, people go to summer school as kind of daycare almost you know they have like all these summer programs and stuff yes. for kids yeah so i kind of thought that it was just this summer program she was doing and i didn't know if it was oh because when i was a little kid like summer school was because you were bad like you got in trouble and you weren't going to graduate like it was a it wasn't a good thing of you have to go to summer school right but so, this made it seem like i don't i, I was confused about it I was a little confused as well. So I'm putting on my educator hat. And I'm going to speak like a teacher. Teacher. Who comes from the valley. <laughs> but um, when I was in school, summer school meant you you didn't pass to the next grade. You are going to say you fucked up. <laughs> I wasn't. I was going to say you failed. Oh. But I no, because it wasn't behavior that sent you to summer school, although that was always involved, because you didn't pass the grade. You didn't get enough credits for the grade. You didn't get enough. Yeah, you failed. Yeah, you failed to meet the requirements that, that meant you could go on to fifth grade or go on to sixth grade or become a sophomore. So you had to take summer classes to earn those credits to give you, to make you be able to go to the next grade level. Now in the present summer school is not about that because we, you go to the next grade level, no matter what. Well, you just, you can't leave a child behind. We're not leaving anybody behind, even though they left you behind a long time ago. <laughs> so now it doesn't summer mean, what school, do you mean you can't read? It doesn't matter. I'm in third matter. grade. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. But we did get you help. Because I, I did tell your third grade teacher, at this point, she'll be lucky to work the red, the blue light special at Kmart. So we got to get her some help. <laughs> okay. So um, now it is you are earning extra credits 
so that when you graduate, you'll not just have a high school degree, but you'll have uh, hours past a high school degree. Yeah. So it's towards your college or you are in um, a special program where if you miss, it used to be three months of school. Now it's two. If you miss two months of school, you will be so far back from where you were at the end of school because you have to have that repetition every day that you come for, you know, some time in summer. It's called um, extended school year so that the kids who just can't afford to be out of that structured program for two months could keep some of that routine going. So to me, it's either like the the high, high of the high and the lower, low of the low. I see. But it appears in this that it was a, a punishment because it didn't seem like she missed any classes. She was just found with some marijuana. But no, she was found with marijuana because he gave it to her on the first day of her summer school. No, it was before that. Oh. Her... her huh? punishment for being found with marijuana at school was she had to go to summer session oh i completely misread that i didn't know he did give her marijuana the first day but we are way ahead of ourselves right here oh yeah so this was just she was found with some marijuana at 15 in high school and so she because it's a private school like I said last week, and Aaron said, how do you know it was a private school? Because of the way they were dressed. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't pay attention. So, um, so Dad Sam is saying to wife Lee, hey, why don't we just take two weeks off and go up to Wilmington? Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Very close to where I go when I go to North Carolina, Holden Beach. It's also very close to Southport um, because they have a houseboat on the river up there. And why don't we take two weeks off and go up there? And and Lee is saying, because Danny got caught with marijuana, she got to go to school. Oh, well, he he comes back and says that because she was writing something for her school and it was a remembrance of like a good time. And she said to her dad, yeah, when we used to go on the houseboat, but we never go. And so then he was in with his wife and he was like, oh, man, yeah, my daughter was just reminding me about her greatest memories and it involved the houseboat. We should go on the houseboat. And so he says it and then she gets mad at him because she's like, I wanted to do I told you I wanted to go on the houseboat and you said you didn't have any time. Now, all of a sudden you want to go on the houseboat. We can't. Our daughter has to go to summer school. She has to put in her time. He wants to go on the houseboat to get away from Max Katie. Well, yeah, that. And also, I felt like he was, um, it was two birds with one stone. Like, oh, that's oh, very nice. Like I didn't he, see that at all. I just, I felt like he didn't hear a thing his, his daughter said. Well, I mean, he said houseboat, and then he it clicked in of like, oh, that's right. We can do that and get away. And I'll look like an awesome dad. Cha-ching! Well, the next scene, um, Sam and Lee, husband and wife, are in bed. And they're having a romantic interlude. 
<laughs> and then oh, everybody that sounds so creepy to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it, it, yeah. Fine, it, that's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> she, it's the middle of the night. She gets up. She goes to her mirror, and that's the first time I thought, you know, I don't think she's all together. I don't think both feet are touching the floor as far as her mental stability. Ah, see. Because she's looking at her face and she's pulling on her face the way you do when you want to see what you would look like with a facelift. Because <laughs> <And then laughs> it is interesting to see, oh my God, look how those lines go away. Anyway, she puts on lipstick in the middle of the night and then... She goes to the window. She looks out the window. And there is Max Katie sitting on their brick wall that separates their property from the street. Is that when there are also fireworks going off? There are fireworks going off, yes. Which, hmm. I, it well, was close to the 4th of July, but it wasn't the 4th of July the, yet. It was the day before the 4th of July. Oh, so somebody was setting off some good fire. Well, see, I got caught in this. I found this article on philosophynow.com by Terry Murray. And I didn't really get all through it. Honestly, if you've ever seen the television show The Good Place, I needed Cheedy to explain it to me. Yeah, I need Cheedy a lot. He was talking, uh, the Philosophy Now article is basically explaining to um, smart people about all of the Nietzsche influences in the film Cape Fear. So I've never gotten into Nietzsche. Um, He's the guy that said anything that doesn't kill me makes me stronger. He was he was of the mind where that that there were I, I don't I ah man I'm gonna sound like an idiot because I don't really know all that much about Nietzsche but basically there's the like there's that animal instinct that we have and that that's more powerful than the by taking out the animal instinct so. And that's the modern of having all of these rules and things that we need to abide by. So the fireworks are supposed to represent modern, like rules of law and things that we must follow as a society. And that's what the he's saying that the fireworks in that mean. Whereas, and then Katie sitting on the wall, Katie represents because he had a bunch of Nietzsche in his cell, so mm-hmm. he's boned up on his Nietzsche and that that is about dominance and um being overpowering and stuff and that animal instinct that survival the the one before all of the laws and stuff that beat people down so it's so it's kind of that sort of conflict and for him to have that much Nietzsche to have read it and understood it Let's you know this is an intelligent man. He's not just bestial, but he's got intelligence going on too. Well, he read a whole bunch of law books. But also, I, I think it's also what you want to pick up. So I don't, I don't know 
I haven't done a, a lot of, th- again, this is why I need Chidi to explain it to me, because just based on this philosophy now and the quotes that he's pulling from Nietzsche, I think Nietzsche is also the one that said God is dead. So I'm thinking that that Nietzsche might be one of those philosophers where it's, um, oh, how do I want to say it? It's like he, he's in the wrong hands. He's not not great. Right. Like it's, right. Like he this isn't what this like, oh, man, this guy's been in prison and now he's super into Nietzsche. Oh, watch out. Yeah, because he's taken from Nietzsche what he wants to hear. Exactly. He's not, just like not, he's reading the Bible and he's taking out of the Bible what he wants to hear. He wants, just all the vengeance part. Right, like he's right. he's putting aside all of the like forgive them, they know not what they do. He's going right. all in on the vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, so she freaks out and she tells Sam, so Sam goes outside with a gun. He comes back in. He talks to her about Max and why Max was in prison. He said Max was in prison for battery. And she said, well, you know, at least it wasn't murder. So the next morning. But wait, so this was the scene that remember they had the same scene with Gregory Peck and the other woman in Mm -hmm. the previous one. And this was one of the rare instances. I think that on a whole, I enjoyed this movie more than the original just because of the, the camera angles. I can get more into that later. But this was one of the instances where I thought that the original scene between him and his wife of explaining was better than this scene in the, yeah. rig- in the remake. Right. I don't know. Because she- the next day he's telling his wife, I want you to keep Danny close to home. Um, and she, she says, well... Can can we go out for a walk? And he go if we take Benjamin the dog with us. And he's trying not to freak them out by saying how bad of a guy. See, this is where Sam needed to lay. As soon as the child was born, he needed to say, "Look, there's going to be times where I tell you to do something, and I'm not going to have time to explain it to you. You just have to do it." I don't. This was what like. That's on you, Sam. You should have yeah. laid the groundwork. But then also he's a philanderer, so they don't trust him. Because right. that whole thing of you need to do something and I you need I need you to do it, it only works if you fulfill your own end of the bargain and being right. the person that, like, I have no reason not to trust what you're telling right. me right now. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, Sam goes to Tom. I never got a clear picture who Tom was. Um, it seemed like Tom worked in his law office. Are you talking about Fred? Yeah, Fred Thompson. Tom, okay, so Tom's daughter is getting divorced. And I think that Sam is handling her divorce. To, so to they the, don't work together. He's just a client. I thought that he was a client, but they could work together. But yeah, every time they are together, he mentions like the the soon to be ex son in law. Okay, and and Tom is telling him, 
You need to call Lee Heller. He's the best criminal lawyer in the state. I didn't know why Sam needed the best criminal lawyer in the state. At this point, Did, oh. was Tom telling him you need to, you know, like kill Max and then you're going to need the best criminal no, lawyer in the well, state? Well, this gets filled in from I'm only saying this based on seeing the first one. I would say that he needed to call him to so that he would put um, an injunction in. Because remember, in the first one, oh. he needed a lawyer to file a, a restraining what's, yeah, like a restraining order. Oh, okay. Or like to speed it up or some, it was like some lawyery thing. And that's why he needed to call the lawyer. Okay. Because then he, he quotes, yeah, he told me I'm going to need, I'm going to learn about loss. And I went, oh, that's what that was. And um, Tom says, well, he wasn't even trespassing. He was sitting on your brick wall, but that's not trespassing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a restraining order is going to take 10 days. And then he tells Tom. I think that's well, why you need the injunction, because if you just if I were to just go and get a restraining order, I don't think I need a lawyer, but it's going to take 10 days. But I think if I want a restraining order like right now that I need a lawyer oh, who will go in and be like, okay. no, we need to expedite this right now. I think so, I know nothing of the law. <laughs> right. In the original. um, Sam witnessed Max committing a crime. He, he, yeah, he was a witness. In this one, Sam was Max's lawyer for said crime. He was the public defender. And. And it was in Atlanta. It was in Georgia. He suppressed information that um, it was a rape victim, but she was promiscuous he buried the fact that she was promiscuous so that sam katie would get uh more time but he was sam's lawyer so that was against the lawyer code right because the law if you're a lawyer you're saying that everyone no matter what if you're defending someone you have to defend them to your utmost ability so That's no the matter sixth amendment is that the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution? No, I think the Sixth Amendment has to do with a speedy trial. But I know that okay. when you, if you become a lawyer and you get sworn in or you take the bar or one, it's like the equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath that doctors take. Right, of like the right. first do no harm. It's like, you know, if you're a lawyer, you're going to be put into some tough situations and everyone is, everyone is entitled to a fair trial. And to the best defense that's possible. Right. So somebody came to Max and they had this report saying that the rape victim had had like three partners in a month. And that means, you know, you're looking at the, in the 90s. Well, it wasn't the 90s. It would have been in the late 70s at that point that, oh, she couldn't have been raped. In the raped. late 70s, everybody had more than three partners. Exactly. But she couldn't have been raped because she had three partners. I mean, it's only just now that we're starting to not... Right, victim, and even blame. even now it's still hard. With yeah. yeah, so okay. it was it was very interesting. So I was like, oh, what an interesting wrinkle! Because on one hand, he was a bad lawyer, right? He shouldn't have done that. But on the other hand, he knew that Katie was a that like he was guilty, and he did it, and he had a daughter, and he didn't want this guy out there. 
So he decided, I'm going to marry this. Oh, yeah, he had just had the daughter 14 years. Okay. Yeah, he had a little kid and was like, I can't let this guy go out. And I think that this is the case that made him leave being a public defender. Because he was just like, I I can't do this. Right. I'm out. I can't be, like, trying to help people that I know are rapists and that injure women. Help them get out on the street. Right. And then to the audience, I was like, oh, wait. The law. He, yeah, he did wrong. But wait. But ah, I don't. Ah, Scorsese. Yeah. And Tom kept just kept saying, you buried the report. Right, because I think Tom is probably also a lawyer. So you're probably right that he's a co-worker. He just can't handle his daughter's divorce case. Right. And so to him, he is like. Like even the it. boss, the boss of Sam. I felt like he was. Yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah, because he's going, you buried the report. Yeah, like it's you- like, no, you know? And Sam goes, well, he can't ever know about it. He was illit- illiterate. He couldn't read a thing. I had to read everything to him. So there's no way he knew that I buried that report. Because Tom is going, does he have something on you? Some reason that he wants revenge? And he does say, like, hey, what does it matter if she was promiscuous? Which is a great yeah. point because he knew that it didn't matter, but the, according to the legal system, it was gonna matter. So right. it's just right. It's a very interesting moral conundrum. Well, we go home and Mom and Danny have banter. I don't know if you have more to say about that. That's is this the when we find out that Danny was flashed? Yes. Oh, I'll have more on that later. Um. So Danny is just, they're treating Danny like she is a totally naive, totally sheltered 15-year-old, which she is to a point because she lives in an affluent area of North Carolina, and she was found with marijuana, and she's not up under the jail for 15 years. She had to go to summer school. So she is pretty sheltered, but yeah, somebody has flashed her in the past, and she knows some stuff. She's got her MTV. Sam is in town and he sees Max. Several teenage girls walk by and Max is going, mm, mm, mm. And then Max Katie says, my own daughter don't know me. And oh. so Sam is going, are you telling me I didn't do my job? Because he knows he didn't do his job. And so he's feeling kind of like, shit, do you know I didn't do my job? And um, and Max says to him, you know what? I learned how to read during my stretch. And after I w- discharged you, I defended myself. And what was Max drinking during this? Avion. Best water in the world. Even Max knows. He comes out of jail and he's like, I want Avion. I'm going... Dang, Max. I, t- I did. I was like, okay, Max. I was too, because it's expensive. But And he's in a, a red Mustang and Wait. a Hawaiian shirt. A red 1965 Mustang. Yeah, with Avion? edition. Okay. Um, so Sam goes, so what do you want? 
And Max goes, well, I'm open to discussion. Uh, Sam says, I'm open to discussion on compensation. You feel like I didn't do a good job. What do you want me to do? You want $10,000? And um, Max is going, you know, uh, so even if you offered me $50,000, and I divide that by 14 years, and I take 14 years, and each year has 365 days. Do you realize that's not even $10 a day compensation? And so or that's not even minimum wage. And so uh, at that point, an alarm on Max's watch goes off. What kind of watch was there in the 90s that had alarms on it? Oh, Casio's? Like... Oh, okay. Alarm goes off and he says, uh, I'm late for an appointment. And he drives off and just leaves Sam going, what do you you want? But wait, Ma, isn't this, aren't you skipping like a major thing that happened? Very possibly. That that Sam Katie says and that I had to be like, did he just say what I think he said? And then then I had to put on the subtitles so that I could read what he said? Subtitles that would have helped me with. Okay, go on. Like, is this where we? Because when Sam Katie goes, um, I know what it's like to be a woman. Where he basically tells, what's his face that like yeah, not only I was in prison, oh which yeah, sucked, but also, you know, like I was um, raped. Mm-hmm. all the time in prison by everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh wow because up until this point i thought that you know sam katie he's ripped I, I was under the impression he was running the prison but no then you look at it in a different light of oh i guess he started working out for a reason and it didn't all have to do with revenge it had to do with that he was slighter than all of the other people in the prison. And so they made him the woman. But it did have woman. to do with revenge because every time he got raped, he thought it was Sam Sam Bowden's fault. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting wrinkle because just in that one moment, I forgot that he was a monster to women and that, oh, he probably got what he deserved. And I was like, oh, man, that guy, yeah, that'd be rough. He just continually mm-hmm. is getting raped over and over again. And then and then later on I was like, Well, wait a second, Aaron. He's um a monster. I think he got what he deserved. Uh, call me a yeah. monster too if you if you must. Well, you rape somebody, you know, an yeah. eye for an eye. I was like, in the wait, Bible. but then but that's the that's the genius of the Sam Katie character is that this guy obviously he raped the the woman. That gets him into jail. Then he gets continuously raped. But instead of being like, got what I deserve. And he's reading the Bible. And it never crosses his mind that like his getting plowed from behind is probably his punishment from the vengeful God that he's getting all the quotes tattooed on him of like, oh, okay, an eye for an eye. I got it. Um, No, he's like, I'm going to get revenge on on my lawyer who suppressed it. So like, yeah, that's interesting. Scorsese! Okay, I chose to 
not go about the plowing. I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was a very interesting wrinkle because that was not something that Robert Mitchum, Sam Katie, ever alluded to to. in prison or admitted to that he was made to be a woman. He was soft like a woman. Oh, I mean, it got into some crap because I was like, did he just say what I think he said? He did. (laughs) Okay. Well, now Sam is at work and he's talking to somebody and uh, the secretary comes in and says, your wife's on the phone. And he says, tell her, you know, this is not the the Sam Bowden uh, of the first one. This is not your Gregory Peck Sam Bowden. Who was worried, you know, if my wife even breathes into the phone, let me know this. Tell her I'll get back to her. I'm busy right now. And she goes, it's urgent. Well, yes, we go through the whole dog situation. But we don't see the dog. We don't see the dog. And um, the mom doesn't tell Danny, don't let your father see you crying. <laughs> yes. Um, there, uh, he, the dog, was, Benjamin the dog was poisoned. The wife screams, and she's kind of out of control, so she can't tell Danny not to. And Danny runs out and slams the door. Oh, because, wait. Yes, yes. Because Sam comes home, he's all upset. But then he says, didn't I tell you not to let the dog out? Mm -hmm. So it's like it's Lee's fault that the dog got poisoned. But Lee didn't let the dog out. She did not let the dog out. I was under the impression that Danny let the dog out. And that Lee was covering, the mom was covering for the dog. Like, that's why she got mad. And she was like, I told you not to get And she's like, blah, blah, blah. And like fending him off. And then she's like, I didn't let the dog out. And then that's when Danny goes and slams the door. And I'm like, oh, Danny let the dog out. Or nobody let the dog out. Nobody let the dog out. Oh. Which is a possibility. But the wife like overreacted to that so that's what i'm going yeah she's not mentally stable well also i love me some jessica lang but oh she's so good she does not play stable <laughs> like, no she doesn't when you see jessica lang shows up in a movie like you can pretty much guarantee that's not a stable woman yeah, stability is not in love the job her. description but her 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 uh, go-to is not stability. Yeah, she's so good at not being stable. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're at the jail. Robert Mitchum is there, and he does the strip search on Max Katie. Remember Max his Katie. strip search? How he had his chest all up and stuff. <laughs> he held his belly yeah. in. De Niro Max did Katie not had need to. Interesting drawers. Yeah, and De Niro got down the nerd alert four percent body fat. I read three or three percent. And so we see all, excuse me, all of his tattoos. He has tattoos. Well, several places. I'm not going to say everywhere because we did not see everything. Mm -hmm. And um, all of them are about revenge and vengeance. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything was in order. And they found out that he made $30,000 on the sale of the farm. How much was it in the other film? In the 60s? I don't remember. I don't remember, but it was enough. And there's something about we didn't let the dog out. We don't know 
how we just we don't know how we just know that he did it yeah and um and but the police had nothing on him so they can't hold him for anything because um they can't prove that he poisoned the dog Mm -hmm. it's the july 4th parade and the first flag that comes down is the confederate flag which i was like man this is not as tasteful (laughs) no and then there's just a lot of them and i was like why couldn't it, it just made me sad because like, if this had been the sixties, I would have just been like, "Oh, it's the 60s. 91. But and if it were held now, two thousand nineteen, we'd probably see it. Yeah. Okay, so the high school band goes it just, by. It, the- it's just interesting, though. I mean, a little just tidbit that it is July Fourth, and you're celebrating America, yet you're flying a traitor's flag. Right? I understand that some people they do not see it as a traitor's flag; they see it as Southern heritage. I see it as being a traitor to the Union, flying it on Independence Day, celebrating the Union. Go ahead. Well, the caucasity. (laughs) Been waiting to do that the whole time. My new favorite word. It is in Wikipedia. It is in Wikipedia. Caucasity, and what a perfect place to drop it in. That was perfect, Mom. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that might be my favorite quote of the entire <laughs> 91 episodes of God with the Bushes. It's just the silent, the beat, and just the caucasity. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, so then they say to Danny, why didn't you join the majorette? I didn't know they still had majorettes in the 90s. The majorettes were not the cheerleaders, but the ones who twirled the batons. Yeah, I don't know, man. Small town. Well, um, across the street, Sam sees Max staring at his wife, Lee, and he rushes over and pushes Max down. And Max doesn't retaliate. He just says, you're lucky I don't sue you as everybody's pulling Sam off of Max. So Sam looks like the aggressor. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're in the bar. The girl from the handball. Eliana Douglas. Is in the bar with Max. Max is drinking what? Avion. And um, she is so flirting with him. Oh, my God. And so she is, she is, she's uh, three sheets to the wind. Uh, She's so drunk that now she's talking about, I had no business getting stuck on a married guy. Yeah. And so she's drunk. And then she goes, the rat stood me up today. So uh, Max goes, well, I'm from, she says, where are you from? I'm from Georgia's state correctional facility. (laughs) Oh, she thinks that's the funniest thing she's ever heard. Um, she said, hey, I have this joke about this guy. He's sent to prison and, and a, a girl, um, he gets out of prison and, and a girl at the bar goes up to him and says, um, you know, why were you sent to prison? And he said, I hacked my wife into 52 pieces. And the girl goes, so you're single. Oh, my God. Funniest <laughs> joke that's ever been told. So oh, that would not play in 2019. 
if you ain't sober, you take in your choices because, oh, if, uh, and so finally he says to her, if you ain't sober, you're taking your chances because I'm an animal. So next scene, they are in bed together and she is just laughing. Well, she asked, wait, Ma, she asked him twice. Like, well, what were you? No, really? What were you in prison for? And the second time she's like serious. And he tells her that he was in, oh, I didn't write it down, but it was, it made me laugh out loud. It was something about, um, he was at a protest and yes. the cops came and they started harassing the woman behind him. And he didn't like them manhandling the woman. So he stepped in and that's why he went to prison. And right. I was like, Wow. He was defending a woman. What a story. <laughs> who was protesting equal rights. Yeah, something. it was something. And so <sighs> she's uh, she just bought it hook, line, and sinker. She isn't a mean drunk. She's a happy drunk. Yes. Because he gets out handcuffs and handcuffs her, and she thinks that is hysterical. Oh, is this takes such a turn. And instantly, he... Oh, God. Okay, so he flips her over and he actually takes a bite out of her cheek. Oh, I he mean, takes a chunk out of her. He bites a, her cheek a off. A chunk of cheek. A yeah. chunk of cheek. Oh. Yeah. At, at which point she realizes, oh, my God, I've made a horrible <laughs> mistake. And he says, I got you now, bitch. And he punches her uh. and... Scene cuts because he is oh, just it's just violence to women, violent women getting women getting beat, very violent scene. Ugh. After she has a chunk of cheek taken, the okay. chunk of cheek made me just like not was... much just gets me where I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, uh, fade to home at um at the Bowden house. And Sam is, is plunking on the piano and he keeps hitting one key. And that was in a that was in a tasty nugget what key it was, but I don't know if I wrote oh. it down. E something. And it's not working right. A piano wire is missing. You're like, well, I know. Now where that that's doesn't make you go duh, duh, duh. Yeah. But no, they just go. Wonder who messed up the piano wire? Just you know, cause that you know, piano wires they just they just happen disappear. to go boing and I mean, if it had broken, it would still be in the piano. There's yeah. no piano wire there. It's just completely gone, you know, like they do. If this were Gregory Peck, he would have totally known what was what was to come. Peck would have known. Okay, so um, Katie raped another girl. Sam out. Girl was 16. Oh, so I guess somehow he says in front of, oh, maybe Danny overhears him talking to Lee and saying Sam raped another girl and the girl was 16. He is now, remember in the beginning he told his wife that it was battery. He was sent to jail on battery. Oh, but he's yeah. now telling her actually it was rape and the girl was 16. Danny overhears it and she goes, I'm 16. 
Yeah, and my birthday's coming up. Yeah. Okay, Danny. That's not yeah, cook, really right. Okay. So Sam goes to the hospital to visit the handball girl. But he doesn't is... know it. He goes to visit the victim because they're like, we need the victim to testify. Exactly. And, he, and then he walks in and he sees who it is and he's shocked. Yeah. Shook. And, and she goes, <laughs> it's not funny. I know. What? Inappropriate he, laughter. She goes, don't look at me. And I think of that when we always do that. Don't look, don't look at, at me. me. We do that in fun, but really it wasn't fun. I mean, she, her eyes were. But it was a real legitimate, like, please don't look at me. And I was, I was looking away. Like, got yeah. it, girl. You don't want to look at her. Mm -hmm. oh. And then she goes, you know, through, through, she can't do her cheek because it has a right out of it. Oh. You stood me up <laughs> and you didn't call. And last night I was feeling reckless. I was going to show you. And so Sam goes, he's done this before. You have to testify. And she, she goes, I don't want to have to explain. <laughs> <the pro> <laughs> oh, it's so problematic. <laughs> okay. I don't want to have to explain the bar and the clothes and the drinks. So it's, it, it's not as well expressed as last time when she goes, I'm not going to tell another living soul what he did to me. Well, but I thought, I thought that it was because she was a clerk and she says, I don't want to have to explain that. I don't want to have to explain that to people that I work with. She says, I've seen it. I've seen it happen every day at work. She said, I, I know. It. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I at work. Let, let the record show. This is not me this time. I felt that, you know, I agree too much. I need to be the sticky wicket in the situation. <laughs> so I've decided to be a little bit con confrontational. Con Controversial? Controversial. Yes. <laughs> I think I have achieved it. The caucasity. The, cauc the sheer caucasity. <laughs> Well, okay. So you feel like it was expressed better in this one because it actually. I don't think better. I just feel like it was it was expressed. It was an interesting thing. Of she's a law clerk, so she she does see it every day, which you that can break to like we're used to seeing it where I saw I I see this every day, and now people are seeing it and they want to, they see the 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 braveness of the victims and they want they want to be brave themselves and so they're like gonna stick up for it but she's all she's seen it so many times and then she sees how they were joking about it yeah. afterwards and bringing yeah. up all of this you know this isn't this is recent history you know the 90s and stuff like we were talking about earlier how it's mm -hmm. it's it's only just now starting to change a little bit 2019 so she's like i don't these are people that i work with and it's true like that's her job and stuff and now she's gonna be with all of these people judging her so i thought it did a good job of of updating that aspect of it but then it was really sad because 
that was made in the 60s. This was made in 91, and they really didn't need to update it that much to get across the point of exactly how it's going to be victim how traumatic and victim shaming and how she's going to be the one that's put on trial because what was she looking for and also it goes into her livelihood then because this is where she also works Mm -hmm. and everybody's going to know this about her yep she was reckless but she didn't deserve it no i didn't yeah Yes, I did. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be controversial. Sticky wicky. Mm, I'm gonna be the sticky. Wicky. Does she deserve to get her cheek bitten off? Mm. Uh, I nobody don't deserves that. But I'm just. So. I'm just trying to to you know spice it up. Oh, okay. So Lisa Benelli over here. Sam goes to uh, Robert Mitchum, and Robert Mitchum says, "I can't bury someone for wanting to rape your wife." So, um, uh, Robert Mitchum is kind of suggesting that he use his family as bait because they can't do anything until Max Katie attempts something. Uh, so Sam is talking to a private eye, uh, who was the walking tall guy, the Kirschker, John something, John and he Don Baker. Yes, Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker. He says, I'll do a background check on Max Katie. It's dinner. This guy is in charge. I don't know what that means. Uh, The phone rings. The P.I. is. Oh, wait. The PI found out that in prison, Max Cady, um, a, a guy in prison was found with his neck broken and his tongue bit off. Max Cady had done that to a dude in prison. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, this wasn't his first biting incident. Um, so Sam calls Lori. Lori is the handball girl. And he's going, I am so sorry that I brought Max Katie into your life. It's only because he's trying to get revenge on me. And he's in his bedroom and he's talking real quietly. And in the reflection of the windows, you can see Sam's wife, Lee, overhearing this conversation. Well, uh, she says to him, I just don't know what I hate more. You're stupid. I never got that word. Or your stupid sophomoric infidelities. Are you talking to the girl who got beat up? So at this point, we find out this, uh, although it didn't come to fruition of actual intimacy, the uh, the girl, Lori, he was in a pre-affair with yeah, Lori. He, the whole reason they came to New X6 was because of his infidelities at the other place, I guess in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and that that he got caught and he went to counseling, and they're like, "All right, I'm gonna, we're gonna move here and start brand new." And he is like the classic, almost kind of gaslighting because he's saying to her, "I haven't done anything," but it's like you haven't done anything yet. You're right. carrying on and carousing with this young woman. I mean, true, 
That affair has like her hole in her cheek has probably put the kibosh on that affair, but it's still the pattern. You can't sticky wicket out sticky wicket me. <laughs> and that's true. And then we see Lee go into a full blow out Jessica Lang. Oh, temper tantrum beating up on him. Danny overhears it, runs to her room. And then we also, is this where we also find out that Lee had had a, probably a significant bout of depression? Yes. At the last place? Yes. She says, we decided to move away uh, together and um, because she could have left him, she decided, they decided together, no, they were going to try to make it work. They'll move away together. And so there was a period of time where she wouldn't leave the bedroom. So he goes, you wouldn't leave the bedroom. And she said, I wish I, you could say the same. Uh, and he goes, I can't help that she's infatuated. Um, well, I'm, I mean, you, you kind of can. You can be like, yeah. no, we can't play handball together. Right. And you just go, you know, uh, I'm married and I'm we can't do this uh, you know it, it's I, you can it's say no you, but no means no <laughs> yeah you need to go go to the bar and find max kitty oh um i'm scared i think he picked her because he knew she wouldn't testify because he knew she worked for a law office she she knew all about it all the reasons Aaron just said and so he I think thinks that was a bit much on him. I think that was his best case scenario. And yeah. I think that he just picked her because he knew that it would hurt him. Exactly. It was it was for it was revenge vengeance on him. Yeah, I don't think he could be certain that. that oh, she's not going to testify. Like, okay. So uh, he says to Lee, we can work together as a team. And the next scene, he's sleeping on the couch. And he's mad about it. Mm -hmm. Well, now the PI is in the diner. And uh, Katie already paid for his meal in the diner. And the PI goes up to him and goes, it, I think you need to get out of the state. And he goes, are you threatening me? Are you threatening me? Kind of reminded me, are you talking to me? Yeah. Um, and so Max drives up as Lee is checking the mail outside in the mailbox. And he gives her Benjamin the dog's collar. Now, what was interesting is Lee was not acting afraid of him at all. I guess she didn't know what he looked like. But she knew who he, I felt like she knew who he was. She pieced it. I because don't, she, she didn't she know says, at the oh, beginning. you're Max Katie, aren't you? She does. I think she, she, I think we see her piece it together in real time. I think the audience to us were like, oh, he gives the collar. He's going to know. But I think if we went back and saw the scene, you're going to see it in real time when she realizes who it is. Oh, okay. Well, Max Katie says to her, you know, if your husband hadn't betrayed both of us, might not, you know, I might not have to be giving you this collar right now. He knows a lot about Sam Bowden. 
uh, Danny comes out and is talking to the mother and, and he sees her. And it's like, maybe that's, it's not like before when Max Katie was totally obsessed with the daughter. I feel like maybe this was the first time he was really like, Oh, I felt like this Max Katie was obsessed with the wife, but now he sees the daughter and goes, Hmm. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because I think I was watching it from the beginning, knowing the previous one, the week before how he was obsessed with the daughter. So I'm just watching it like, Oh, he's obsessed with the daughter. And then that's why when it gets to this scene where he notices her, I'm like, wait, wait a second. You haven't, the entire time, yeah. like at the yeah. at the at the Fourth of July thing, I thought he was looking at both of them. I thought that he was doing significant leering at the daughter as well. But then no, everything maybe, is maybe. about the wife, and I didn't know if it was that's how the father Sam wants to see it. He's he wants to be. I, of True. course, he's looking at my wife. He's not looking at my daughter, and how it's always going there. But it's like, is this guy? Does this guy only have it's only the wife and he's not looking at the daughter. I would think he would always be looking at both. <laughs> yeah. Since he has raped a 16 year old before. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's my wheelhouse. Well, at this point, the PI says to Sam, if you really want to resolve this, I've got guys who can put him in the hospital. And I was thinking, if you really want to resolve this, you need guys who are going to put him in the ground. Yeah. Putting him in the hospital isn't going to do nothing. And uh, Sam goes, I, I'm a lawyer. I can't operate outside the law. But this hasn't been an hour yet? No. Wow. It has not. Because <laughs> I kept looking at the time, hoping it had been, because I wanted to stop taking notes. Because I'm looking at the time, like. <laughs> okay, he goes home for dinner. And she's upstairs. Danny's upstairs in her room with her Swatch phone. Mm-hmm. I never knew there was such a thing. I just laughed. I didn't know there was such a thing either, but I was like, that sounds about right. It's 91. Uh, and her new teacher is calling her hmm. and um, telling her, you know, I know you're in my drama class and I'm calling all my new students. I just want to um, talk to you. And, and so she is a 15 year old spilling her guts and he goes, you know, you can use all your negativity. And and we see him. He's hanging upside down. What are those contraptions where you hang upside down? Those just like a pull-up bar, but you just put the boots on and hang upside down, I'm assuming. Yeah. It's, he's really, that's how he gets his abs. And um, she's saying, okay, I'll see you tomorrow in room. What a, what a, what a. And he goes, oh, no, the class has been changed to the theater. The auditorium. Um, you can trust in me. I'm a do right man. Oh, what's playing in the background? The the song "Do Right Me." Aretha Franklin. So, mom drives her to summer session. She says, "Do you want me to walk in with you?" Yes, <laughs> but Danny says, "No, I'm here. I'm fine." She goes downstairs, down a dark hallway. Now, last week, this was a chase scene. It is mm. not a chase scene mm -hmm. this week. It's a little eerie. She goes into the theater. There's nobody else there. There's like a gingerbread house on the stage. And Max is inside. You see his shadow. And then 
she's she yells, I'm here for drama. And so she goes down to him and he is smoking grass. <laughs> and she goes, Are you my drama teacher? And now it has been an hour. All right. So we're on to the POC count. POC. All right. So yeah, the Latina housekeeper. Mm-hmm. There's a black couple sitting at the airport. There's mm-hmm. later on. There's a boat guy, and I think, and then there's a boat woman who sees Katie. Oh, okay. So that's five. But then I have a five. My official POC count for this is five point five because the judge, played by Mart Balsam, he specifically quotes, and I quote, the great Negro educator Booker T. Washington. Oh, so, so that is like, the point five. You gave a shout out to Booker T. Washington. I'm giving it a five point five POC count. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've done several nerd alerts. I'm sure you have more. Okay, I do. So Ileana Douglas, she got a job for a well known publicist because she wanted and she wanted to she was trying to get her headshot to Martin Scorsese, but she was unsuccessful. So the um, the he- the publicist's office was down the hall from where they were editing The Last Temptation of Christ. And the editors needed sound effects for Mary Magdalene. And so they asked her to help. And that's how she met Thelma and Thelma's husband, filmmaker Michael Powell and Martin Scorsese. So she ended, Ileana Douglas ended up doing many of the ADR crowd sounds for The Last Temptation of Christ. And then all of them kind of bonded because Ileana Douglas was obsessed with old movies too, just how like Martin Scorsese is. So they bonded over all these old movies and she got... I wonder if they listened to us. (laughs) I I don't know. It would be hilarious. She got a shout out to all the A-list actors listening to this podcast. (laughs) I mean, we don't know because we're not on the social media. So find Ma, she's on Facebook. Like direct message or whatever. I don't know what you would even do, but that's we would if any podcast would be the official podcast of A-listers, it would be us because we're not going to uh, bother you with anything. Yeah, we're not sharing your information. Yeah, because we wouldn't know how Because we wouldn't know how. (laughs) So um, so she got a small role in New York stories and then that led to a role in Goodfellas and the Lorraine Bracco put her under her wing and helped her get an agent. And at the same time, so this is a little weird and I don't know what's going on. I'm not casting aspersions. I don't know. I just know that Martin Scorsese's marriage to the producer, Barbara, ended in 1991. This film came out in 1991. They had met during, um, and kind of, they said in Wikipedia began a relationship, but then in when Goodfellas, oh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Then Goodfellas came out, and they were um, like boyfriend and girlfriend. Hmm. So I don't know. It's maybe I'm sure it all works out. I already did the thing about Elaine Bass and Saul Bass. I did yes. think, though, that going back to the Ileana Douglas, that that was how she got in, was that she was, like, the publicist, and then she did ADR work, and then they were like, there's just something about this girl. 
There is something about her. I agree. So it has a ton of camera moves, as we already said. The there's canted angles. There's whip pans, rack zooms. You had the split. Okay, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Go back to the angle, panted angle. <laughs> canted angle. Or what is a canted or angle? Dutch angle. It's if you have your imagine your phone. You put it horizontal, and then drop, make it like a diamond, so that the you're just making a diamond. So you're rotating at 45 degrees. Oh, okay. And that's a, a Dutch angle or a canted angle. Okay. The next the one is what? The next one is a whip pan. What is a whip pan? So a pan is when you imagine the camera's on a tripod and you know when you turn it and then you pan it like panorama. Mm -hmm. How if you were yeah. on your phone and you do the panorama, how it says to start, it has the arrow to start moving. Right. You're doing a pan. So right. a whip pan is that you just do it really fast. Okay. The rack zoom. Rack, so a zoom is, um, you do it with your eyes. If you put something right up close to you, like when you get older, that you do with it. Basically a rack zoom is what old people do with menus. Okay. How you're, you're moving it. Because it's out of focus, and then it gets in focus. And then when you look at somebody, your eyes will automatically do a rack zoom. So you're focused on something. A lot of times it, you'll be focused on something in the foreground, and then you'll have something in the background, and, you're, uh, and you just go to that. It, okay. It shows, like, w your eyes do it amazingly. Cameras don't do it because cameras have to be locked in. And then you have to have the, the lens operator know exactly where that is, and they have to do it. And so it's just very fast, and it's a technical thing to mimic what your eyes just do automatically. It's okay. crazy. Then we have the split-focus diopter composition. So we had seen that before. I forget the other movie that it was in. But it was when, um, in this movie, Nicholas, Nick Nolte, He's his face is in focus. It's when he's brushing his teeth and his face is in focus. And then you have Jessica Lang over his shoulder in the background and she's also in focus. Oh, okay. So they're both things are in focus, but Jessica Lang is far away. So usually since if she's if you're focused on Jessica Lang who's far away, then Nick Nolte who is close to you is going to be out of focus because you can do it right. with your hand. You put your hand out far away. You look at that, your other hand is out of focus. And then right. when you look at your hand that's in focus, the other hand is out of focus. Right. But in this case, both of those things are in focus, and that's achieved by using the diopter split focus thing. Okay. So he used a bunch of that. He used a bunch of camera movements. My personal favorite camera movement on this movie is at the end when they're on the boat, Somebody goes over an edge and flips over, and the camera also flips with them. And I yes. was like, that's just cool. But there's a lot of just really cool shots. And, and at first, it kind of was, I was like, I bristled a bit. But once it settled me into like, no, this is what we're doing, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, also, a bunch of the, and so that, that was also, you know, Hitchcock on steroids. Bowden's life, 
his whole color, like the color palette, because remember the first one was in black and white, and everybody's like, of mm-hmm. course, it needs to be in black and white. But this update is going to be in color. Let's do something with the color. So Scorsese has Bowden. He's all in beige, beige and pastels in neutral tones. And you oh, contrast I didn't even that, think about that until just now with Max Cady, who's got yeah. his red convertible, his Hawaiian shirt. So it's these loud colors. Um, we already talked about the expressionistic blocks of color. Uh, we talked briefly about before about the score that was also used. Mm-hmm. And Elmer used unused portions. Remember how the one guy did Torn Curtain and Hitchcock was like, I don't like it? Yes. Well, Elmer, Elmer went and got the Torn Curtain and he used portions of that in this as well. See how everything folds back into mm-hmm. each other. So th- those were my nerd alerts thank you you teach us every week you're welcome okay we're to reheatables i have some best and i have some worst oh well let me tell you like i got my information from wikipedia amazon prime directorseries.net and the philosophy now article by terry murray reheatables i didn't come up with all of that stuff myself but you could explain it all to us could i or did i just convincingly say so you've made it sound good okay um something my not good tasty nuggets okay i had a problem this week where i mixed up my up arrow and my down arrow a few times oh no yeah okay i have a a reheatable um when Joe Don Baker is drinking Pepto Bismol with Jim Beam. Oh yeah, that's in my bad reheatable too. I'm, oh my god, Jim Beam and Pepto Bismol, my man. I don't. If I see a, my private investigator drinking that, I was torn because on one hand, am I thinking, my God, he's my man? What a private investigator! Or am I thinking, I need another private investigator? I was torn. Ugh, but man, disgusting. Just, um, really bad reheatable. There's after our hour mark. There's a point where um, Sam uh, assaults his daughter. Wipe that smile off your face, and he gets really <laughs> physical with her. He he does, and then he also tells her to put some clothes on. She's not a little kid anymore. Yeah, because she is there in with her underwear on. I mean, in, the, in your bedroom, but you, you live in a house with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, um, I wasn't running around in the old underwear. No. Okay. Um, the way that, that um, Sam was making light of his wife's breakdown... Because she was obviously having a, a bit of a breakdown when she couldn't leave her bread, bedroom for weeks on end. The dead dog is always a negative. Yes, but we didn't see it this time. Right. It was just and left to Jessica Lang to convey it to us. My bad reheatable. The three goons they sent to beat him up? Yeah. Seriously? Weak sauce. 
Oh my god. I'm like, that can either just... one of them do like five minutes of cardiovascular exercise? Obviously not. Hmm. Yeah. Do you not know what you're dealing with? I guess you didn't. This guy has three percent body fat. Yeah, they got they got some change coming. Whoever paid him paid those three goons. Those are my negatives. And you're in the South. Like you can't find like somebody you can't just go into a clan meeting and be like hey i know this isn't typically who we need beaten but i got a job for you guys you're going oh sorry just say yeah okay so oh my bad reheatables your bads i w- i was kind of wishing that this would had been in the 60s i think it could have been there was mm-hmm. nothing that said the 1991, but... Except this... Okay, that's in my good reheatable. So go on. Yeah, because also, you know, the Confederate... Because I thought that maybe it was until, again, I saw a problem child, and that was in the 90s. All right, everyone's teeth in this has not aged well. I have a, I have a nerd alert about that. Well, I have the nerd alert about um, De Niro, but I wasn't even right. talking about De Niro's teeth because nerd alert, De Niro, he shaved down his teeth. He paid somebody to he, shave. Uh, wait, I have, I have, wait, wait, wait. It was he paid $5,000 for a dentist to make his teeth look bad. When the film was over, he had to pay $20,000 for them to get fixed. Yeah, but again, he's De Niro, so... He, he was he wrote that off in his taxes method acting <laughs> but i'm saying like like jessica lang nick nolte you know you you take for granted that everyone just is brushing with with whitening toothpaste nowadays yeah juliet lewis at least at least had her retainer in yeah um oh we did the jim beam okay the the Joe Joe Don Baker as Kursik, his whole <laughs> security plan was that he got fishing line and tied it to all the windows and then tied it to the bear, and if the bear moved, he would know. And I was just like, was this guy in Korea and Vietnam, and that's why he's thinking that this is an excellent plan. Because his whole plan, you realize his whole plan hinges on him staying awake and seeing this. Because there isn't, it's not like the bear is attached to a bell or anything and the bell's going to ring. He has to physically watch it. And I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to spoil it, but it's a flawed plan. It's a flawed plan. Okay. Oh. And my, another bad reheatable is the mother Lee's reaction when she finds out that Danny has been flashed. She's just <laughs> like, oh. And then it's just a real awkward because it turns into this thing of like, then Danny's like, oh, well, yeah, why wouldn't I be flashed? And then Lee I've leaves it of, of being like of saying oh yeah i guess you're good looking enough that of course you've been flashed it made it seem like that's a natural rite of passage for a woman is to just be flashed and it's just a it's a tough reheatable there was no 
oh my gosh, you, do you want to talk about it? What, how does that make you feel? Are you okay? Just but wait a minute. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. I specifically remember because I wasn't even flashed, but it is seared into my brain because I was on the basketball team in high school. And so we're in a school bus. We're on the way to, I believe it was Robinson. Probably. And one of my teammates looks down into a car, a truck, and sees a guy, I think, pleasuring himself. Probably. And she, you know, she tells and and says like, oh. And so then we have, like, our coach brings it up to us in the locker room. First, well, I don't know if first, but at some point, your coach came to one of the mothers on the team who was a school counselor and said, how do I talk to my girls about this? <laughs> Which, it's funny, but, and uh, look, I am, like, that person was not my favorite person, but this is the, this is, what would this have been? This would have only been, like, seven, six, seven years after this movie, and at least yeah. she was proactive in, like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Right, right which was a lot more than what the mother of this girl did in this movie. But I'm thinking I did about what Lee did, didn't I? Did I ever talk to you about it? Well, I didn't see anything. Oh, okay. This I think was, I, I, yeah. I didn't, this, this was not my trauma. I was just like, okay. that sounds about right. I mean, I don't know because I didn't see it, so I don't know. You know, when you're in the bus, you're up high, so you can look down into them. I didn't know if, like, that's just what the guy was doing and he thought nobody could see him except, or if he was, like, making eye contact with the person that it was happening to. So I didn't see it. I was not traumatized at all by okay. this. I think, I think I remember that, that we didn't have to discuss. No, I think because you were like, and I was like, I didn't see anything. And I was kind of, I mean... Looking back on it now, my reaction was like, well, I don't understand what the big deal is, which mm. is problematic. Um, because, but then it's again, more about the dude than it does you. Yeah, so. I didn't see it. So I wasn't I was more of like, oh, I didn't know that that was such a like that it was a big deal kind of thing. You know what I mean? But then mm -hmm. I also didn't see it. So I was kind of the react my the reaction that and the attention that it was getting compared it to get a lot of attention. what I pictured in my mind and what I pictured in my mind might not have even been what had happened. It could have right. been way worse. Just in my mind, the way the in like not innocuous, but kind of I don't know even how to describe it of like benign. I don't know. It, yeah. it didn't. And again, it didn't happen to me. So I was just kind of. But I wasn't like, guys, what's the big deal? Because I was quiet enough to know this isn't my trauma. So right, deal right. with it however it needs to be dealt with. And it was also good of like, oh, so yeah, that's not something that is good. Like, right. it, Whereas in this movie, it was treated as, that's why it's a bad reheatable of a rite of passage for a woman. Oh, right. yeah, she got flashed. Oh, yeah. All part of being a woman. It's 
Oh, yeah. okay. No. That is, you know what? That is unacceptable behavior. It is. So those are my bad reheatables. Okay, I have a list of good. Mm-hmm. My good reheatables were the seersucker suits. Oh, yes. I would not even make my list, but even when Max, I said, Max Katie is wearing a seersucker suit. Mm. The 65 Mustang convertible. Classic. The, oh, I have another bad reheatable that I didn't bring in. Mm-hmm. Was he wearing brown face there at the end? I don't want to do a spoiler right here. I but... think it was probably makeup. Are you talking about Max Katie? Yeah. I think it was um, makeup because of what had happened to him, his face earlier. Oh, okay. I thought he was trying to um, be a replica of what? Okay. Not going not gonna to spoil that because that's a good I don't want to spoil that. Yeah, there's a good twist in this that was like probably my favorite part of the movie, and I decided I wasn't going to say it because I don't want to spoil it. Right. Of course, him drinking Evian. Of course. The Swatch phone. Come on. Yeah. And I have to say, Juliet Lewis has never been a favorite of mine. When I found out that she had a relationship with both Brad Pitt and George Clooney, I was like, what? Because <laughs> I never found her to be attractive. I always felt like she was, you know, not. So I was so pleasantly surprised with her performance. Well, you've seen I, her every year. I guess you not you haven't. I see her every year in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, but but the scene where she meets Max Katie in the auditorium, where he's pretending to be her drama teacher, mm-hmm. um, she was so good at being naive, being. I have totally- a tasty nugget for that. I do too. Totally 15. She was such a 15 year old. um, I just was really impressed with her performance in this. Mm. And I've never been a a big fan. So um, those were my positive reheatables. Okay. Mine. I liked the ethical quandary, as I mentioned earlier, about how we buried the evidence. But then Mm -hmm. it was the whole thing of, but it was like promiscuity. And what does that have to do with anything? But you did take an oath uh, um, that we didn't see the dog die. I mean, we hardly really even saw the dog. I think we just saw the top of the dog's head. So I was like, good. Um, That Sam Bowden isn't a saint and his marriage wasn't great. Right. that was a, a nice update um the cheek biting thing i have it as a good reheatable because that is it was very just i mean we're doing this in october for the horror so there you go yeah there you go there Wendy. you have it got some real horror there and also the reason that she wouldn't press the charges i thought was a nice update sad mm-hmm. but nice update um so I think on Max Katie's car, he has the bumper sticker. 
American by birth, but Southern by the grace of God. And I know <laughs> I give I give the South a bunch of shit. I give the Confederate flag a bunch of shit. But I got to say, American by birth, but Southern by the grace of God tickles me. Both things can be true. That's a, They got a hell of, hell of a good, good, great slogans in the South. I will tip my <laughs> hat to that. Because I'm like, that's hilarious. The War of Northern Aggression, hilarious. I tip my hat to that. I think it's great. It That tickles me every time. It can be, I know it's problematic, but American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. That's I see the humor funny. in that. It's funny. Funny is funny. I was at a, I was at a special ed conference in North Carolina one time and we had to go to different sessions and I don't, I was in one session and they said, why is the sky blue? So I was in North Carolina. Heck, uh, I know the I, answer to this. So I said, cause God's a Tar Heel. And everybody turned around and looked at me like I had three heads and I was we're in North Carolina people yeah are you well, how kidding can you me? not know that and yeah excuse me the sky is not blue it's Carolina blue yeah hello hello wow you so you got no love on that you thought you were gonna kill with that I thought I was gonna bring down the house and I did <laughs> but with a deafening pregnant pause yeah you're like oh Duke Duke fans Excuse here. Me, I have to go to the restroom. Maybe they all went to Duke. Oh. Ooh, ouch, <laughs> ouch. Maybe. Yeah. I was in Charlotte. What? I mean, that's you know, they got okay. it's the well, triangle. I'm just saying. You got I mean I, you got Wake Forest, you got Duke, you got UNC, you got NC State. Yeah. Well, I just okay. <laughs> And then my okay. last one is the Bowdens or the Bowdens recycle. Yes. I was like, mm, well done. <clears throat> oh, I had another. Mm -hmm. Juliet Lewis's appropriate shorts. Yes. All right, let's get to the tasty nuggets. Tasty nuggets. I had the scene where she's walking to the school auditorium, you know, down that mm -hmm. dark hallway. Originally, it was a chase scene like it had been in the first one, but um, Marty changed it. Scorsese! Mm -hmm. And did you know that that scene was all ad-libbed and done on the first take? Uh, they did three takes, but they used the first one. And mm -hmm. because it was perfect, it was just... Yeah, I didn't realize it was all ad-libbed, but it was perfect. Mm -hmm. Actually, at that point, she developed a crush on Bobby. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Because <coughs> she knew he wasn't going to rape her. Yeah. Um, the tattoos of Bobby's body were vegetable dyes that faded after a few months. Because they didn't look like, um, you know, you can tell a fake tattoo because it's too dark. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> okay. Connoisseur. Um, Scorsese read the script three times and he hated the happy Bowden family. And so that's why he wanted there to be some problems in the marriage. Mm. And it did make it much more realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, this was Gregory Peck's final film. Mm -hmm. 
Scorsese's first choice for Sam was Harrison Ford. Mm. We had so many people who tested for Danny. We had Drew Barrymore. I have it in different places. Jennifer Conley, Winona Ryder. Christina Applegate was actually, um, it said she turned it down, so I guess it was offered to her. Oh. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker was originally cast as Danny. Huh. Um, I don't know what happened to that. Um, Melissa, Alyssa Milano was offered the role of Danny, but Tony Danza talked her out of it. Oh. Reese Witherspoon auditioned for Danny. Huh. So... Uh, those were a lot of people, and uh, Juliet Lewis knocked it out of the park for she me. She did a great job. Um, let's see. We had Nicole Kidman. Oh, they looked at Nicole Kidman but felt she was too old for the part in 1991. Hmm. Robert Redford was considered for Sam. He would have been too old. Yeah, and Steven Spielberg want to well, he was going to do it originally if you remember from mm-hmm. last week uh, he wanted bill murray to be max it's that would be interesting it would have been a different max katie totally different um i have that robert de niro researched sexual predators and it was his idea to um and he found out they like to bite their victims. So that's when he added that into the rape scene. I think that's all of mine. All right. So I have in 1965, Nick Nolte was arrested for selling counterfeit documents and was sentenced to a 45-year prison sentence and a $75,000 fine. The sentence was suspended but the arrest meant that he couldn't serve in Vietnam, and so he felt incomplete as a youth because he couldn't serve, which I was like, wow, your crime probably saved your life, buddy. I'm sitting here with my mouth open. If people knew that, do you know how many people would have committed crimes? I, I they wouldn't have people, had to go to Canada. I no. people did commit crimes, so they wouldn't have to go. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I know that my brother gained a whole lot of weight in an effort not to have to go. So De Niro's accent, it creeped out Martin Scorsese, and De Niro would leave phone messages for him in the accent. Um, It was a creepy voice. And this is a factual error that I don't understand how it got by everybody. But in the movie, they say that the Gregory Peck's character says that he refers them to the ABA, which is the American Bar Association, and that he has to go up in front of them because he could get disbarred. But the ABA is in a it's a lobby group. It doesn't give out licenses, so it doesn't have the authority to disbar. Huh? He would get have been brought up. And since it happened in Georgia, he would go to the Georgia Bar Association. Oh. And that's how it would, they would take it up and oh. take a gander at it. So there you have it. Um, what are we on next? Next is well, next week. Well, yeah, well, we did the, oh, yeah, because we didn't do the recasting. We didn't do the we MVPs. Did- 
Yeah, we're not doing recasting. Oh, we didn't this do the MVP because we did it last week. Yeah. Uh, I have an I have a, an MVP. I have an honorable mention MVP. It might be the same one. My honorable mention MVP is Avion. Well, my MVP is the Booker T. Washington quote. Oh. I will no, I will let no man drag me down so low as to make me hate him. Nice. I'm glad that you had it. Although I believe that Mr. Trump has dragged me down that low. No, I don't give that. I don't give that motherfucker that much authority. But I love that they had a Booker T. Washington quote or point five in mm-hmm. our in our POC. Well, my MVP, I knew that it was my MVP. It might be the earliest MVP that I've ever assigned because it was the first note that I wrote when I hit play on the movie. I go, the MVP is the score. Yeah, that's true. Done and done. And then numerous times throughout the movie, I was like, MVP, MVP. I love that he kept the score. It makes it so much like a suspense Hitchcock thriller. It does so much. It does so much work. And and not work as because a lot of times a score will do a lot of heavy lifting to keep things afloat, you know. But this, it didn't need to, but it was just like, here I am. It, I felt like the filmmaking just added to the score. It was in service of the score, which I know that maybe people would split hairs and kind of not think so highly of that, that the score should be in the background. But this is a thriller. It's, it's coming at you, all senses. It's making you feel uncomfortable. It's doing its job. That's the MVP. And there you yeah. go. There so, you go. Next week... Uh-oh. Keeping it going, we're going to do 1955, The Ooh. Night of the Hunter. I know nothing. And you'll learn about it. I checked, and it is available for rent on iTunes. Okay. All right. Well, actually, it won't be next week. Oh. I will be O-O-T. Okay. Because Puppy and I are celebrating our 44th wedding anniversary. Oh, so we are not doing a, uh, an episode next week. It, that will be the following week. Okay, excellent. Okay? Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. There you go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.